0: 0.3% of total revenue was created from Google Ads. So welcome back to the founder Marketing Show where we talk about how to create awareness, build trust, generate demand, and drive efficient growth for your B2B software startups. In this episode, we talk to Sam Kuhnle, who is the VP of Marketing at LOXO, and we dive into his decision on cutting all Google Ads and paid search spend for that company, saving over $100,000 in spend. Uh, how he made the decision, why he made the decision, and how he decided to spend the budget instead. Beyond that, we also dive into new programs he's trying out at Loxo and lessons and learnings from his time at Refine Labs. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. First of all, thank you for joining. I've been uh, following your content for a long time, uh, you know, since, I don't know, 2021 20, or whatever, something like that. And, you know, from the uh, like Refine Labs gang, in a sense, uh, you know, you after Chris, you were my favorite in a sense. <laughs> like out of all the people, I'll take that, it. I'll take uh, it. Posting on Refine Labs, like I felt like your content was uh, always super interesting and and tactical and valuable. So um, I'm very excited to dive in. Now, you know the the topic of the Google Ads. I want to make sure that we touch on that uh, in the beginning. Um, now, some background on you. Uh, you know that w- when I first noticed you was when you joined Refine Labs, or when you were at Refine Labs and the content you were putting out, I think your title at the end was kind of what VP of Di- Dimension, Director mm-hmm. of Dimension, something like that. And then you joined Loxo when?
1: How long ago? January this January. year. So okay, yeah.
0: so a couple months, and and you know you've you've been putting out content there. And so, you know, I I saw that post that you did about the the Google Ads, and obviously it resonated with people. It got quite a lot of attention and so I wanted to focus on that first because clearly it resonated with people. Um, and two um, I just see it you know like we we work with customers and um, w- just recently we have a customer who's in the logistics space you know they've been around for 20 years they've been sp- spending 15,000 per month on Google ads for forever basically and just recently they're cut it down to basically nothing for the same reason they were just like okay, like economy is not good you know we need to like figure out how to save and so uh, google ads it was i did an analysis for them in in salesforce where you know cuz they've been around for 20 years they had salesforce data since like 2007 or something when they first implemented it and i just broke down where leads come from where opportunities come from and then where closed no closed ones come from and then where like total revenue come from mm-hmm. and you know, you could see that in twenty eight, two thousand and eight, like thirty percent of their opportunities that closed came from Google Ads, and then as you move along the dates, they still got leads from Google Ads, like in twenty twenty two. But first of all, it was way fewer, mm-hmm. and then if you actually project it out into like, did they actually close? And did they actually? It was like zero point three percent of total revenue was, you know, the the contact was created from Google ads. So what, maybe before we dive into that, give us a little context about just Loxo as the company. So we have Mm -hmm. some context around like, you know, how big you guys are and maybe how much the overall marketing budget is. So we kind of, or what percentage you were spending on Google ads. So we kind of get a feel for that.
1: So Loxo, we're a startup, but we're not a startup so we're explaining it, a small company been around for 10 years, but we're bootstrapped. So that's why mm. we're still a startup. We're finally hitting growth scale stage, but we don't have VC backing. It's all been grow by profitability, make your own revenue. So, um, Crazy concept, been, yeah, right. It's how it used to be. Who knew? Who knew? But I will say it's very nice. Not having a VC breathing down your neck mm. every quarter asking for leads. So been around 10 years. We're in the HR tech recruiting tech space. So, um, Super easy way to to think about it is if you're a recruiter, you have like 10 platforms that you're trying to use, an applicant tracking system where you track people that have filled out your your application, a tool like LinkedIn or something where you're sourcing potential candidates, an email sending tool, a reporting tool, a contact scraping tool. We have all that in one place, which Mm -hmm. just makes it so, so, so much more efficient. And the beauty of focusing on this for 10 years with their own money is that we've been intentionally trying to build the best possible product with the best data. So it's not like mm-hmm. we're just trying to eat market share and use the like consolidation is the thing, but it's consolidation meets quality meets efficiency. So I could go on for days about that, but that's, that's more or less our, our background. And so as we are a bootstrapped company, I don't have millions of, of dollars from VC saying, you know growth at all costs. Can I assume Go...
0: correctly that you guys are somewhere between the five to 10 million ARR range?
1: We're between 10 and 20. So oh, wow. yeah, efficient. last year, last year it was five to 10. So yeah, growing fast. That's, hey, wow, marketing's nice. working. Um, yeah. Good problem to have. So yeah, between 10 to 20 million annual recurring revenue. And then yeah, for the budget, as I said, when I did my analysis of a hundred thousand dollars in spend, and I'm looking over here, cause I'm looking at the the post yeah. and something else I'll share in a little bit. That was six, seven months worth of Google Ads spend. So I'll, mm-hmm. I'll let people kind of insinuate what they want of how much total budget we have, knowing how I usually split up budgets and everything, but yeah. it's a hefty amount to
0: go to Google ads and totally. within six, seven month timeframe. Okay. And then what first prompted you to look into that? Because obviously, I mean, I'm sure with the economic situation, everyone's kind of looking at, at that, but I'm, I'm assuming there was already some intuition for you to even dig deeper here so was there some trigger that made you look deeper here
1: two and it was ironic timing with it so one like i watch every day what comes in and how they come in so platform attribution how'd you hear about us attribution google i absolutely saw like it did drive inbound force there's no question about i'm not saying everyone needs to get rid of google like it did drive inbounds like like you saw but between this like the intuition that you said where, where it's like it's getting more and more expensive I didn't feel that we were getting the best bang for our buck there relative to the other channels that we were right. using and what I was seeing there. And then the other side of it was, was our CEO, Matt's like, I don't like Google. I don't feel it's that, that impactful for us. So when you also have him questioning it, I was right. like, perfect. Like let's do what I always do. Let's go to the numbers. Let's run an analysis and, and
0: see how it all pans out. And then for him, like, where does his intuition come from? Because I feel like that's rare for like the CEO to, to say that.
1: Yeah. Phenomenally smart dude. Um, founder led sales. So he leads a lot of our sales efforts. And so he's doing discovery demos with a lot of prospects as they come in. And that's something that what's that your
0: ACV that he's still doing that?
1: It ranges. He he does more of our strategic accounts, I'd say. Mm-hmm. So we work with as small as like one recruiter agencies up through your enterprise publicly traded companies that have executive search functions within those organizations. Right. So, um, he'll usually work on the, the larger size Makes companies sense. with those, but yeah, that's where it's like, we have data that comes in for how'd you hear about us and everything, but it's did also part of discovery.
0: Well, did they have that in place? So um,
1: reported. so I've been working with them at Refine. fun, fun ah. fact. Um, yeah, so I, I'd, I'd known Matt for a handful of years, we'd always done back and forth. And they were at a point where they wanted to start to grow up marketing. I'm like, I'm not ready to leave. You're fine. Come work with us. We'll get you off the ground. and we'll go from there. So they came over to us there. We got them all set up with the playbook and, and getting those types of things involved. And then, yeah, from the sales process, they do proper discovery. You know, where'd you come across us? What all did you view to talk to people? So we have all of these data points to understand what collectively moves the needle in the right direction, not what one point should we do more or less of
0: now tell me about how you actually did the analysis and if you want to share your screen i saw that sheet that you shared somewhere if you want to yeah feel free um i think our audience likes kind of the more nitty-gritty stuff so free to get yeah onto the
1: details I'll definitely share this. One thing I do absolutely want to caveat is this advice is not for everyone. Do <laughs> your own research, use this sheet, um, and and just use critical thinking to understand what's right for your organization.
0: Totally.
1: So before I before I start sharing the sheet, all background on how we set up paid search because a lot of people who may or may not know how how I operate a lot of marketing is like we had set up only true high intent keywords and branded keywords for Mm -hmm. this. So I wasn't going after like, how should I be recruiting or, you know, top 10 recruiting tips. It was like best applicant tracking system software or, or things of that nature where it's people that are actively searching, you know, they want to find a solution for a problem. So what happened when I got into this analysis was that even when I was going after some of those types of terms, like the numbers from this analysis did not justify continuing to try to continue to acquire customers that way so the spreadsheet that i'll now share is a handy dandy little way to start to see this and let me know is this is this appearing big enough is it readable a little bit okay i think that's good but if you guys
0: don't want to zoom in just put it in the chat yeah, I can zoom in a little bit
1: more. So and this is this is an example. I'm not going to share the one that, that I used for our purposes. Totally. Um but the the basic concept of it is starts to cater you should have campaigns structured. in a a decent way. So usually it's like you have your branded campaign, you have high intent, non-brand keywords, you have low, mid intent, non-brand keywords. We didn't have any of these. Mm -hmm. And then some people do competitors. It all depends on how much budget you have and everything else. So in this example, I use Drift. It's a very familiar brand that a lot of people know. Again, these numbers are all made up. I have no affiliation with them. But it's like you'd have, you know, Drift, Drift chatbot for your branded keywords for high intent, non-brand chatbot software, conversational AI platform. And then when you get to the low, mid intent, where it's like chatbot, website chat, you know, sales enablement, some okay. some broader terms that aren't exactly people necessarily looking for a solution. And then you could have competitors. So Intercom in this instance. So where this becomes fun, if you're a data geek like, like us what i start to do is i you go into salesforce hubspot whatever crm or tracking tracking platform you have but you can go and since this is a last touch channel right you're, you're trying to capture demand here you should have utm set up or another another method uh, Salesforce, or sorry hubspot has like the original source drill down too, things like that so you can go and see okay for our brand keyword for example you know in the last six months, we had 80 leads that came in. People said, I want to talk to sales from the Drift keyword. I had 30 that came in from Drift chatbot. And then where you start to pull that thread is tracking, okay, of those 80 leads, how many turned into opportunities? And of those opportunities, how many turned into customers? So this is all the same sample size. You didn't have 105 total leads here. You had 80, but you're just looking at the funnel progression of that, because where most people usually spend their time is in this column right here. Cost, right. Per, lead. cost per lead. Like, how do yeah. I get as many leads as possible at the lowest cost? And that's why brand usually looks really good and low, mid-intent, non-brand usually right. looks good. Right, high how volume. You're gonna get, you're, exactly. So where we start to go is, well, I want to know how many people, one, are converting from lead opportunity. Are they qualified? Are they even the people that we want? And then what are the costs of those? Uh, jumping over to column L and I'll get over to these in, the, in a few minutes. I look at, you know, how well are these converging? So 25%, 50%, hundred, or like low intent, non-print, as you were saying <laughs> earlier, volume, usually you see a lot of these are like ebook downloads, webinar signups, or they're just researching. They're not really ready to talk to sales. So the numbers that often look really good and cost per lead, when you go down a level, all of a sudden that's like, whoa, that's $6,000 for an opportunity that got expensive really fast. And so that's where you really want to start comparing. And these are the types of numbers where, as I was doing the analysis, it got into what is actually working for us. Well, I was asking, is this first
0: touch attribution? Sorry if this was covered before I joined.
1: Yeah, no, it's a great question. So this is last touch. So when they finally entered the sales process, because they am When I think of Google ads, I think of these are people who I want to, I want to capture once they're ready to start that conversation, like capture demand in in the Chris Walker speak. So cost per op, and then same type of thing, then opportunity to one conversion rate. And that's going to ultimately get you to your CAC, customer acquisition cost. And that at the end of the day is what you should be optimizing towards because what keywords, if I want people who are actively ready to buy, how can I do that in the most efficient way, most cost-effective way? So you have those as kind of the big buckets. And then in between, what I like to do, just if you want to optimize your your paid search overall, I like to look at, okay, we have a brand campaign. We spent $36,000 in total on that campaign. What you'll usually have is if you look at the keywords that turned into leads, you can then say, okay, how much spend occurred within those? And you'll see here, you've got $35,000. That means you probably have some other keyword in there that didn't convert at all Mm, thousand dollars um same thing for high intent non-brand usually for brand you shouldn't have too much leak but when you start getting to high intent non-brand mid to low intent you're going to start seeing that number increase more and more so i'm saying if those keywords you've been running them for a while they're spending and they haven't even turned in a lead for you shut those off that's inefficient spend so that's what this non percentage of spend for non-leads is doing and then the same thing for pipeline So you can start to get into you see like sales enablement didn't get us any opportunities at all. So that's going to be non-pipeline spend. So add that in. And again, if you really need to get more and more efficient where you want to know what's turning qualified opportunities, start pulling out keywords that aren't turning into opportunities. And that's what leads us to where I landed for customer acquisition side, what keywords were or were not leading to customers for us at the end of the day. So, um, I can share this template with you. I think you might have a link to it if you want to drop it into the chat or anything for anyone, but feel free to absolutely use this. So just want people to know how you can calculate, like is is your Google ad stuff worth it um, to ju- like show, totally. you know, I'm not saying that's just like PR <laughs> stunt, but we actually, <laughs> <PR> actually did. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Google. Um, So you need two things for it. You need to know your ACV, so your your revenue per deal, and you need to know your win rate from where you're measuring. So the funnel we showed, like lead to win or sales qualified opportunity to win. And so what you can do then is you can use those to, to calculate your acceptable cost per lead, cost per op, cost per deal, customer acquisition cost. So you'll work backwards from a lot of SaaS, like your 12 month ad spend payback period. So if a customer stays for one year for 12 months, like will you recoup your money? If no, it's not a great investment. Um, I know some companies two, three year contract, that's fine. But again, 12 month is kind of like from an ad spend because you have other, if you go up level, you have marketing. So that's also your headcount, your agency retainers, all that. So it quickly adds up to like, you definitely should be getting at least your ad spend back in the first year. So for an example, uh, we'll use round numbers. ACV, $10,000. Mm-hmm. And then if you know your lead to closed one rate benchmark industry, like 5% on, on inbound demo requests, and then your sales qualified opportunity to close one run rate, 25%. So again, easy round numbers. What I would do to understand what's an acceptable cost per lead, I would take $10,000, your ACV, multiply that by your lead to closed one rate, 5%. So $500. That's if you win at 5% for every lead that comes in, that's your 12 month ad payback period. If you're above that, should evaluate it if you're below that great push it keep going um and you'll still want to track it down the funnel but again these are just kind of the the, the baseline numbers cost per opportunity same thing ten thousand dollars but multiplied by 25 percent, so 2500 dollars. that's your that's what's an acceptable rate and then customer acquisition cost, ten thousand dollars times one ten thousand dollars so if you're below any of those numbers good like it's working if you're above that it's not good you said earlier, we have a low ACV. That makes it really hard on Google because Google's expensive. You know, 2012, I could go on and $10,000 would get me a heck of a lot further than it does now. So that's where economies of scales have completely changed. And you can see when you go and plug these in for each of those keywords that we showed in the sheet earlier, like what keywords are, are not worth spending. And so when I did this, like, $3600 per year for one user is our is our low end ACV. Like I had two keywords that had less than a 12 month ad cac payback period and both were branded terms. So I was like, uh, mm. like, do is it worth it at that point if those are the only ones? Right. Like 70% of our new customers from paid search came in through branded terms, but the ad cac payback on those ones was greater than 12 months. Um the 30% who came in from non-brand were more than 12 month ad cac. And I even did an analysis. I was like, this is not looking good. Like, do I really want to make this decision? I looked at like correlations between paid search, then direct and organic traffic or the total, total volume of high intent hand raisers, And there wasn't anything super strong there. So mm. yeah, I did that about a month ago. And then just before this, actually I jumped on, I was like, how's this working? Did this pan out? So, um, In the month since it's been paused, our hand raisers. So, hand raisers, we have dual motion, sales led, product led. August is up 7% in hand raisers. So, Mm -hmm. we're actually the only channel change was pulling paid search. And surprise, surprise, no surprise, organic has picked up the slack from paid search. So, we've seen more conversions on organic. And again, that's a testament. Well, if 70% came from brand before, they're looking for us, they're intentional about that. So, they're willing to scroll past the top three ads to come and find us next level down opportunities. We had 18% more opportunities from July that came in from these hand raisers. Um, so that's the count of opportunities. Our pipeline is flat month over month, but they're 30 day opportunities. They, they need time to mature. So I'm not concerned anywhere there. And then the closed one, I need to wait for those to, to go, to go through the sales process and see, but like first 30 days, that's kind of showing me the case that this wasn't Google It hasn't been as impactful as it used to be for us, and the the move to new platforms or how we want to reallocate the spend like it it was
0: the right decision for us so i mean this is this is an an awesome template, but it's also not rocket science, right like you can track this down pretty quickly. What do you think is the reason that it's just it's just not what most companies do?
1: A couple of reasons one, you have an agency running your search for you, and who is interested in
0: of- increasing spend,
1: yeah, so when I was at Refine, we were unique in that we just had a retainer fee. Most agencies I've used before are percentage of your media spend. So yep. hey, I'm gonna get you a lot of cost per leads, really cheap. And also, you're losing a lot of impression share due to budget. If you increase this, you know, it's they're making money at the end of the day. And it's no fault of their own. That's their business model, that's what they should be doing. So, and I even made this mistake early in my career. I didn't give the agency I used access to our CRM. So all I knew was work off of the lowest cost per lead at the highest converting rate and see where we have budget to add more. So it's something that we all, we all learn, we all go through, but I think that's part of it. And the other part of is, you know, it's always been done this way. So you have someone who's, who's always run Google ads. You have, I've, I've worked with execs who've said, I don't care. I want us to show up for a branded search terms. Um, You know, there's any, any number of reason, but why I like going to this type of exercise is it's really hard to argue with numbers, especially, With those execs, when you can get to this level of play, like I get what you want to do, but this is not driving revenue for us. Here's what can. So when you can start to have that conversation with them, that's where it becomes very different. So how do you calculate out what is an acceptable cost per lead for you? What's an acceptable cost per op? So when you do start this analysis, you can figure out like what keywords are worth spending on, which keywords should we be pulling out?
0: I think it's also like no one's incentivized to find it, right? Because even if you have it in house and you have a marketing team running it, and you you don't have an agency, most of them get scored on cost per lead. So you're doing a good job there. And then the sales team, it's not coming out of their budget, so they don't care. And they might know that these leads are low quality. They just don't follow up on them. But you know, and then I mean, leadership might be just too far removed to even look into this stuff. So um, yeah, it, it still baffles my mind how many. I mean, confession, you know, we even only recently started getting into the CRM of our customers, right? But it happened on multiple times because we work with a marketing agency, with a marketing department. And so I asked, could we get access? And they don't have it. They're like, I need to go to to my sales team to like, I can give you HubSpot, but the real stuff happens in Salesforce. I need to go to someone else to give you access. They don't have that access. In your post that you wrote, you had... um, you know, you went to your CEO, you presented that seems like not a lot of pushback. And you said, there are three things I would want to do instead with that budget. What were those three things? So what what ideas did you have or what else you could do with that budget that could be more efficient?
1: So the three things were, I don't want to say specific to us. They're, they're probably relatively common for most people. But again, I applied the context of our, our situation. So branding paid search. Here's why. Presented the data, walked him through everything. And then, as you said, three options. So the first one was... Reinvest in channels that are working for us, but we're far from maxing out. And so this is what a lot of organizations will typically do. You should probably have somewhere between two to four solid performing channels. Um, Which are those for you right now? For us, um, recruiters love LinkedIn. So I bet you can guess where we spend a lot of our time. Um, yeah. I mean, they, they have to be on the platform more or less. So LinkedIn's a huge one for us. Um, YouTube. Organic is or a, paid? Both. Um, I mean, they're all over LinkedIn. Our, our company didn't have a huge presence before. So we're building out the organic side and and I've got a a podcast going for us to start getting more content in the loop with ourselves, positioning different members of our team as thought leaders and and working with other members in the space. But for right now, we kind of have to buy our way in because we don't all have hundred thousand followers like Chris does or or others where we need to be able to to get on the way there. Uh, Yeah. Far from it. But um, LinkedIn. Yeah. So paid organic there. And there's a surprising number and I would not have expected this, but Thank goodness for, for, plat, uh, things like, how'd you hear about us? YouTube is a big one. Oh. Um, and I think that's partially the way that some of the, the upcoming generation learns is there's more of self-discovery and like, how do I solve for this? I don't want to talk to a CSM. I don't want to talk to a sales rep. I want to just go and figure it out on my own or see what people recommend. So, um, and Is those that are a Roxo uh, YouTube channel? We do have one, but we weren't doing anything with it at the time. It it was honestly a video repository for a lot of our training. So this was coming through either, like I'll call them YouTube influencers who were talking about the product or just review type people. And so this was telling us this is an untapped opportunity. If we're not putting anything into it, there's people talking about us. How do we leverage it? So that's a current initiative Um, experiment,
0: more or less. So when you see that, is your first thought, oh, I want to start a LOXO YouTube channel? Or is that I wanna build a relationship with these three whatever key influencers who already mentioned that and, and just kind of have to get them as ambassadors?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so we had a we had a channel, but it was not optimized or structured well. So I took the route of like, let's build our own thing because as you know, it's getting harder and harder to rank going back to Google on SEO, SEO standpoint for written posts, articles, and more people are wanting to learn by seeing versus reading. So our vision with it is that we are going to be building and creating more like thought leadership best practice type videos and then uh, people are going to kill me for us I call it like seo for youtube where it's like you make chapters into it you make sure that you're showing up for the right terms and everything and, and those are showing up quite high in in the google organic cert so right. um haven't done too much with influencers there yet mostly because one budget. We don't have a lot of money to, to do something like that too. We are building out an affiliate program. So I don't have anything to incentivize them just quite yet. Yeah. And the other part is that it starts to get not murky, but they, some are users of our product, some aren't. And if we want them to really go into our product, it's like, well, do we then train them and show them have to like run them through a course, get them to do it or babysit them for like what you can and can't say about us. And we don't, we didn't have the bandwidth for a while. To do that, I I just hired a couple members to the team that will get to doing that, but it's prioritizing like we've got so many different options here, and so Mm -hmm. back up like a level of LinkedIn, YouTube are working well for us. Well, if I know we are scraping the surface on LinkedIn, that's working better for us. I only have so many hours in a day. Like, how do I prioritize where does YouTube fall with that that sub segment relative to some of the other efforts that I want to take on?
0: So where does it fall? You know, if we just, I mean, if we take that hundred k that you now. Recoup from the google ads and you have linkedin and youtube and, and youtube is more of an experiment linkedin you know it's it's working and there's still so much untapped like do you do 80 20 do you do so that leads to the other two options um so you could reinvest it
1: in in existing channels that are working well yeah. option two redirect that spend over to a big bet What something that you aren't doing it all, but you have a hunch towards or something that you want to try out.
0: right?
1: And then third option is, so because we aren't VC-backed, we aren't publicly traded. I, exactly. I can save the money for a rainy day. I can save it for something that I want. And that is a very specific team member in 2024. I cannot afford that individual right now, but if I right. save up, I can. So that's where you've got all these different options that I presented him and he's just like, you own the budget, do what you want with it. I trust you. So the best part about this is it's not a pick one. You can do a combination of all of these. So say I had that $100,000, I could say, let's put an extra 50 into LinkedIn right now. And then I want to try something with a big bet. put 25 in there. And then let's sock away another 25. So example so what numbers. but did
0: you end up doing? Like, how did you think through that decision for you? I mean, obviously everyone will land on a different kind yeah. of, but how do you think through that? So
1: mine, um, I'm going with options two and three. I'm splitting it between a big bet and pocketing it for that team member. The reason I'm not investing it in other channels yet are one, I just added new team members in the beginning of this month. So I didn't have the time or the bandwidth to be able to scale to other channels to do more on those. Um, We have a very sound footprint on, on the current channels, but I wasn't at the point of diminishing returns yet, but it wasn't going to be like. I absolutely have to be doing more. Otherwise our our business right. is going to flounder. They were producing very well. So I think that the outcome of the big bet that, that we'll get in place next year and the individual who will be able to add to the team will, will return much higher than if I put the extra $50,000 into LinkedIn this year.
0: With YouTube, do you plan to do anything with shorts or just focused on the long form? Like I'm on your YouTube channel right now. It looks like, it's it's basically like interview format right 14 10 30 30 minutes long so kind of that style
1: mm-hmm. yeah so that's the podcast and we're at I'll call yeah. it 101 level right now where it's just let's get our podcast over there let's Same get some, some better videos yeah we are going to be experimenting with shorts later on so part of the youtube experiment and that was the one of the new team members who's joined that's something that they have experience in and want mm. to test out so the micro videos that we make for LinkedIn, I also have the team producing in nine by 16. So oh, once we are ready for that, we're going to have plenty of content to do it. But I want to make sure that we've got what we need. And again, like we don't need to rush into an experiment just to rush into it. Let's make sure that we're setting ourselves up for success to do it properly. So that'll that'll come in time. That's probably going to be a Q4 initiative for us once they're settled in and, and have some time to, to work through that. But yeah, to your point, exactly. It's like, that's kind of an upcoming area where we are seeing a lot of traction. So YouTube are you shorts? thinking
0: to just repost to tiktok because why not or are you not gonna start a new channel potentially
1: again like getting it in the proper size is one thing but having the str- like how do we want to use tiktok like we had a twitter account and i told her CEO, you i'm like i'm not i don't manage it no one engages with us like we just kind of have it we don't need to continue by any means until we have the resources to do so So for TikTok, I'm taking the same approach. Like I know there's plenty of recruiters on there, but I want to make sure that when we do show up, we do so in a thoughtful way that's going to drive impact, not just slap videos up and and hope that people watch them. But Mm -hmm. um, I don't like to do anything that's just like mediocre is kind of the thing. So when I do go into, I want to make sure that that there's a a thought out strategy, a plan, and that we can pay attention to it to make sure that we're giving it the proper time of day to, to experiment and validate.
0: Interesting. Yeah, we have the opposite approach. We we started doing uh, shorts a couple of months ago. And I mean, we don't really get customers from YouTube. I don't think it ever showed up on our self-reported attribution. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've been just reposting our videos on YouTube for a long time. But nothing happened there. Like we got like three views, five views, one view, like nothing. And we had like after <laughs> two years of doing that, we had like 24 subscribers or something like that. So it was for us more like a content library, because then we had the video, we Mm -hmm. could embed it, we could send it out easily. It was more of that nature. And when, then we started playing around with shorts a couple of months ago. And I mean, it's nothing crazy, but we're now at a hundred subscribers, right? So like 24 subscribers in like two years, and then went to a hundred subscribers in like whatever, three months or something like that. Right. And so the organic views are definitely better. We're actually getting comments there. Where it's like some random people like pushing back or adding some comments, so that's interesting. And and we're just throwing them on TikTok because we're like, it's the same video, so like let's see. Yeah. Um, but I agree. Like when you when you, I just want to see like the signal there. And then if you really want to crush TikTok, I'm sure like you need to make it a full focus and create TikTok native. You can't just like rep- repost the same videos. You want to have like the green screen and like all that stuff going on. But anyway. Yeah. So LinkedIn, YouTube, are those the basically the the main ones, or was the did anything else show up on self-reported attribution that like surprised you that was like what? Uh, we get we get a number of different responses. Some
1: Facebook's a big one. You'd be surprised huh. how many recruiters are also in Facebook communities. I if I wasn't a marketer, I'd have Facebook off my phone ten years ago. But you know have to have a Facebook account in order it. to advertise there. So we do decent amount it's i mean it's nowhere near what we do on linkedin or any of those but we are on facebook um reddit reddit's one that i always come back to it always cracks me up but there's a huge recruiting community on reddit and it's always fun to see because it's anonymous right so you don't know who's doing what you get the unfiltered everything from both sides of it from the candidates to the recruiters themselves and it's a great spot to hear like what's currently going on so that's a great spot to think of content ideas and, and other items but Um, we have had a number of people hear about us on on
0: Reddit. Interesting. And then is there anything up for your priorities? So you mentioned, you know, you want to build out the LinkedIn organic side a little bit more, and then the the YouTube experiment, including shorts with the new, is there anything else on your radar that you're experimenting with that you want to try out next programs that you want to start, um, anything of that sort?
1: was a lot we always want to get to. Um, mm-hmm. we've, we've got some foundational things. We're still working through our website. There's a lot of pages that need to be updated still. So it's balancing that with, we don't have any singular direct competitor, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt, our CEO has been creating this category for a while before Chris Walker, before Chris Lockhead, all those guys were were talking about it, but it was the vision of like everything in one place. So we have point solution competitors. So Our feature is someone else's product, which is really interesting because they can, it's really easy to push a message when that's your full product. But when it gets to our level, if you go to our homepage, it's like, well, what feature do we focus on, which is a product Mm -hmm. for someone else. So how do you bring the the messaging up a level? So we're really focusing on how do we speak to everyone at a broadest level? And then how do we speak to individual segments? Because recruiters are not one size fit all. They are very different depending on what they do, whether you're, you're trying to place the next CEO at an organization like BP, or you're trying to find a truck driver, logistics, uh, short-term um, hauler for, you know, some job. So you've got different types of recruiters for all those and how they go about recruiting are very, very differently. And our product supports all of them. We've built six different versions to support it, but mm. unless they self-identify, we have to make sure that we're, speaking to that on the appropriate page for them where they can self-select. And that's where we start to go deeper. But that's where we're we're currently doing a lot of testing and balancing with not only our website, but also the ads themselves. How broad do we go in the ads? How narrow do we go in the ads? Who do we tune them towards? Do we play more with segmentation where it starts to get a little bit more expensive on the CPMs as the audience gets smaller? Do we go broader? We have a PLG side. So do we just go after the the end users? Do we go after the buyers? So there's a lot of a lot of options that we're going with um and not all at once though so that's the thing is like how do we start to prioritize which ones we think will be big impact to small impact and then start working our way through them
0: do you have any takeaways or insights already on that as you start to think through that and and experiment with that
1: it's really hard to come up with a concise broad level message that resonates um (laughs) i stared at my computer for two days and it still wasn't great um and it doesn't land well either, usually right. when you, when you do have to go to that level. So I'll, I'll go back to sharing my screen again mm-hmm. is yeah. we, the biggest mm-hmm. pushback that we used to get is if you're not built for my type of recruitment, if you're not built for executive search, if you're not built for staffing agencies, if you're not built for RPO, then you're not for us. Mm-hmm. So our, our headline used to be become a hiring machine. Well, one, what's that mean? And two, they come in and they think, oh, well, they're for small agencies are not for us. So I need to make sure that people knew right off the bat, we are built for them because we are, we do have the six different versions of the product. So this was one of the first things I had to think about is what, what is it that we do? So we're a talent intelligence platform, but how can we speak to make sure that people, when they first come to the page, they do understand we are for them. And then we get into a little bit more of the bottom details in the H2 of like, so ATS is a product for someone. CRM is a product for someone. Mm -hmm. and recruited data sourcing. Those are products. We have that all in one spot. So this, seems so simple so elementary but this is where i have so much respect and you for threw that ai in there too fun facts we're on our fourth generation of ai this has actually been okay something you're actually been, ai yeah no we truly are <laughs> it's not just like a buzzword for us it killed us when when that started to come out but yeah we're on our fourth generation because that's a huge part of of the product is like Or talent intelligence. So it'd be hard pressed to call ourselves a talent intelligence if we didn't have any intelligence actually built into the product.
0: So let me get your take on something that I've been seeing, and this would apply to this. And I'm curious about your reaction. So there's category creation, right? Marketers love it, the buzzword. And it's generally around products, right? So everyone wants to create a category for the product. I've been seeing some companies play with industry category creation so the idea is basically if you sell to a bunch of different industries financial services professional services hr you know whatever the thing tech and software you know the the problem is kind of what you mentioned on the one hand people tell you pick one and focus on it because then you can have tight messaging and You know, it's very clear, but then you're excluding all the other types of companies who can totally use your product and get value from it. But when you have all of them on there, then it suddenly becomes really hard to get a cohesive message. And it's kind of confusing and you have all these different industries. And then the question is, do they still focus on me if they're doing this for 20 different industries? So I've seen some companies basically think about, okay, what is the similarity between these different industries that makes them compatible with our product. For example, one company, Comax, they have a sales enablement platform, works for a bunch of different industry. They say their product works for explanatory services. So that can be agencies, that can be consultancies. It's just anything that's explanatory. Another example, a company that we just started working with, their software basically helps review and simplify super complicated documents. So think about RFPs that are hundred pages long, these like government contracts that are like hundreds of pages long with tons of requirements and just being able to parse that and analyze it and kind of work through it faster. But again, it works for government contractors. It works for the defense industry. It works for all all kinds of different. And so, like the common pattern is like complex. If you're dealing with complex, important documents, right? And so, figuring out how can I package that in a way that it still looks like we're focusing on one, but it speaks to everything. But you need actually to be exclusive, so you don't just say we work with B2B companies. But there's a common pattern that makes it work for all of these. So I'm just curious to get your reaction on it and whether you think that's a good strategy or that's just a recipe for failure, because then you're not speaking to anyone. That's a good question. I don't know that I'm qualified to answer it. I can say like what my
1: gut kind of says, but it's similar to product. It's going to rely on education. Like, do you know that I'm an explanatory service provider? Like what's, what's that mean? So it makes sense from a messaging standpoint that you can use that phrase, but first people have to understand, am I within that bucket? What's that mean? So it could absolutely work if, especially if it's hard to combine, like the hospitality industry is a perfect one. If you're a hotel bellhop or you're a waiter at a restaurant, those are two very different jobs, but hospitality is what Mm. it rolls up to. Mm -hmm. So it, then it's really easy to say, we make software for hospitality. People are like, oh, that's me. So right. if you do that, you just have to make sure that the market kind of knows that's how you're redefining them.
0: All right, let's shift gears a little bit. I've seen now, I don't know how many takes where people talk about first 90 days as a new head of marketing, yeah. VP of marketing, CMO. You know, you just kind of went through that recently where you came into Loxo as the VP. Now I'm assuming it's a little bit different because you've been working with them together, but... Talk to me how you, as you've stepped into that role, thought about like what to prioritize, you know, talk to customers for the first month, you know, just meet everyone on the team for the first month or you know implement a program right away, or like how did you approach like your first ninety days as the as the VP? So
1: first ninety days, yeah, I went through this exact exercise, so you you mentioned like you know I, I had familiarity with lock. So I knew similar struggles, opportunities, things that we wanted to work with. Um The simplified version of it is I barely touched the manager in the first 90 days. A lot of it was fundamental foundational items. So I'm not an operations background, but I did a lot of operations work. So mm. making sure some of the basics are covered, make sure all opportunities have contacts associated with them. Cause if you don't, then you have no idea where they came from, what's working, what's nice. not, what's the, What's the handoff process from someone coming to the website to sales? How's that looking? Is it meeting expectations? Where are people falling through? Um, What do customers, prospects want more or less of once those conversations start? Is sales equipped to handle it? So, I was very, very close with our BDR and sales team for the first 90 days going through and, and working on a lot of that because my view is we had existing demand. I don't need to add more to it yet. I need to make sure that we're making the most of what we have before we go and start adding more at the top. Otherwise we're just going to be spending more (laughs) to have the same kind of fallout. So there's a lot of work within our, we use Salesforce as our CRM. It's a lot of Salesforce operations process items, working with the team there. Um, education, learning. I do not have a recruiting background. It is eerily similar to sell like marketing, um, b2b software you're you're mm-hmm. basically marketing a job instead of the software mm-hmm. piece so how do you attract people to want to work for your company or right. uh, a position you're recruiting for but yeah really just trying to familiarize myself with with the product with the market um we do not have any did not have any defined like branding so we had logos and everything but we always use the different shade of blue on different assets or, oh, or other little things there so um just tightening some things up because again, I do think there's, you shouldn't be so rigid that we only use this blue. We only use this black. We only use this white because also guess what hundred other SaaS companies do. They only use blue. They only use black. They only use white. So say, you know, these are, these are guidelines, you know, we usually lean towards blue, but we don't always have to use blue. So like in our last campaign, we did this like super bright, like neon pink, purple, and a, and a throwback to like eighties neon vibe stuff. And it, it works really well. So just be consistent with it, but mm-hmm. you also have to make sure it still ties back to your brand. So many better people that could talk to that on this podcast than, than me, I know are the creative people that I work with. always kind of cringe every time I come with an idea, but it's, it's how you stand out. Cause you know, if it looks like an ad, it smells like an ad. It probably isn't an ad, and it's not going to attract yeah. people anymore. Yeah. So yeah, did a lot of that. And then digging into business numbers. So win loss analysis, um, lifetime value to customer acquisition costs by segment types, geographies that we sell in, a lot of familiarization before I figure out where do we need to prioritize what markets, what segments, what messaging. I I needed to understand that before I started go, go, go on on these different demand gen principles.
0: You remember what, after you did that kind of analysis and just, you know, fixing the handoff and everything, what was the first big item that you wanted to spend budget on that we were like, this is what I want to spend, spend money on
1: <laughs> LinkedIn <hats>. Um <laughs> We had a phenomenal win rate over 80% opportunities what? created. Yeah. Yeah. That was my exact. That's impossible. I was just like, Hold on. When an opportunity was created, I was like, are we not creating, are we creating too late? This was literally come to a demo and they say, yes, this looks interesting on move forward. And that's the power of our product. I was like, this is unbelievable, and this is this Wait, has been your the
0: biggest. What's What's the deal size roughly?
1: So our pricing is on our website. We oh. our packages start at like single user thirty six hundred dollars a year. Um, so it's a it's a low barrier to entry. Um, yeah. you know, the more seats you buy for your users, the better deal you're gonna get, or the longer you want to stay with us. You know, it's it's more or less like that. But usually we get two to three user shops. So. Call it $7,000 is an average kind of ACV. That's still
0: impressive. 80%. Yeah.
1: And if I'll show you why, because this was the light bulb moment that I was like, you know, we need to make a visual that really speaks to this. So pricing page, we've got, as I said, you know, you can see mm-hmm. all of our pricing, build annually, build monthly. Like we don't mm-hmm. hide anything. Cause one, that's the biggest thing. As I said, like we have to stop hiding this. People want to know, but this section right down here is the bad boy. That is where we would always. Mm. when when people saw it so they saw the product they saw how easy it was but they're like man $3,600 is so expensive and then we start to compare it to what they're currently paying for everything else because yes $3,600 is expensive if you compare it to just an applicant tracking system or yeah. you compare it to just your sourcing tool you know insert that but you have to pay for all of these compared to we have it in one spot it's a heck of a lot better it's a heck of a lot easier to use it's like now you tell me which is more expensive so that's where like these types of things are like holy cow like this really will be better, will be easier. So our biggest problem has been awareness. The number of demos that I would also get on and listen to that I'd say, I wish I knew about Loxo sooner. Well, that tells me another thing is, you know we're just not in, and there was a study, I forget when, but there was basically like first list principle where when people go to buy, they usually have two to three vendors already in mind. Sometimes they'll open it up for more for for RFP or to do the due diligence, but 90% of purchases are made from one of those three vendors that are already top of mind. Mm-hmm. We weren't on that list for a long time. Mm-hmm. So how do we get on that list? It was a brand awareness issue. So keep showing up, make sure people know us because when when we do get them in front of sales, we win. That's our, that was our biggest hurdle. So how do we get more people in? Brand awareness, attracting people to us, letting them know what we do. And that's where I was like, recruiter, it, it's recruiter, sales reps, marketers. Those three are on LinkedIn all the time. So this played right into... My experience with refine and and how I knew to leverage a LinkedIn platform
0: it still blows my mind some of these bootstrap comp because when you' when you're in the software world, like everyone knows about the big brands that got all that funding, and everyone's trying to chase those, and there's like these hidden champions that are just crushing it, but they just don't they didn't raise that b round but yeah. do you feel like I mean this is more like a i guess more strategic you know like getting eighty percent win rate? having basically no competitors, that that might also come from the fact that you don't have a lot of brand awareness, right? No one knows that you guys are running this operation. Now that you're scaling this and you're sharing these things on the podcast, I don't know, is there like a fear that, you know, competitors will pop up now, now that people realize that this is a thing? And
1: They've been working on it for years, but we have a 10-year head start on them. That's where we're the beauty of we've been our ceo and, and co-founder who's a cto have been playing the long game with this so they're months ahead with the product with the data with how we go about it and again we have it in one spot so yeah point solutions like they can't compete with us for like, yeah if people want to do that they they can go and use that but at the end of the day if they want to like we're helping recruiters two to five x their output more placements and at the end of the day they get paid based on how many candidates they place. So, it's yeah. hard to hard to argue when you have cost efficiency and workflow efficiency, which is what we give them on both fronts.
0: Do you feel like right now is also just the, a really good timing because, you know, people talk about this bundling unbundling and, you know, with the economy the situation in the economy, lots of companies are looking at, do we really need these 37 different tools? Can we just consolidate here a little bit and cut down on all these licenses that we have?
1: It comes up a lot. Um, a platform that we're streaming on right now is very expensive for licenses when you start paying, um, for the recruiter side of it. So there are a lot of people that are like, and we even recommend we, they don't get rid of all of them, but you can reduce the number that you need. And right. even
0: reducing one of them will pay for this platform for you. So mm um it's good being a marketer when when you have an amazing product huh
1: yeah that's what i tell the team i'm like you guys make my job easy you have a, you have a killer product um you know we make it all easy it's just how do we amplify it from there
0: so yeah it's a it's did you a know fun that going into it like was that a big driver of why you took this this role
1: i did not know it was going to be i was thinking this is a very crowded space what am i getting myself huh. into so um yeah that was going to be a challenge the why i took this job was one bootstrapped I've worked with enough VC-backed companies. I did not want to deal with that, especially going into this economy. And second is the philosophical alignment of, of the CEO and the co-founders of like, we want to do marketing this way. We haven't had it before. So it's also really nice when you can see no marketing, marketing. Like what is the, the difference between what happens when when you apply this type of philosophy and does it work?
0: Now, Daniel, Adib, if you guys have questions in here or the, the LinkedIn Live have questions, put them in. Uh, Otherwise, I'll I'll ask the last uh, question for for Sam. All right, I'll just ask the question. Idip or Daniel, if you have a question, just throw them in. You you worked at Refine Labs, obviously. You know, the, for people like me, you know, one of the people to really pay or companies to really pay attention to. What were like your biggest takeaways, lessons, insights that you took from from your time at Refine Labs? What would you say?
1: Just because things have always been done a certain way doesn't mean that you should continue to and being empowered to do that. So that was one thing I absolutely will forever be grateful to Chris and Megan about for was like questioned assumptions and everything else just because it's been done that way like run the numbers do the math use common sense so. And Chris was always the biggest proponent and then putting a voice behind it. So it's not like, I think there were, you got the sense of this when he started posting, so many people had this feeling, but no one was willing to champion it or lead the charge. But um, I remember when I was at my my job before refine, I just like, I was running, we had to run webinar after a webinar after ebook. And I'm like, this does not seem right. And it's like, clicks on ad one, show them ad two, clicks on ad two, show them ad three, like running these perfectly linear customer journey, digital marketing campaigns and everything. And then it's like, I see Chris's content. I'm like, oh my God, there's someone out there. who's talking about this kind of stuff where I'm just like, I was sitting in meetings and it's like marketing's cheering about hitting, like we surpassed our lead number. And then you see like sales is missing pipeline by 25%. That shouldn't be happening if you're doing it right. And so that's where it's like, came back to. Yeah, we've been running the same playbook for 20 years at that right. company. So yeah. times had changed, buying had changed, but the strategy and tactics didn't move with it.
0: Danny, you got a question. I you you turn on your camera. I feel like you're prepping for a question. It's getting official.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for looping me in there. Um, I do speak to a lot of customers. Quick background: um, I I work for LinkedIn, so I'm actually in touch with you know plenty of customers. And I like the question that it came down to for me is like what requirements do customers need to have in place in order to run these analysis, as in their marketing technology, their CRM. Uh, could you maybe dive into like some of the uh, or at least tool categories maybe that have like a CRM, a reporting tool and 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 the likes uh because I think, yeah, that is where if you don't have the right data infrastructure, all these analyses will become very, very difficult, very quick. Um, so, yeah, yeah, maybe some context on that, that would be cool. Yeah, happy to.
1: And of course, correct me if
2: I start to get off track. I'm
1: notorious in like multi-part questions for forgetting certain parts of it. Um, yeah, data comes before platform every time data and strategy. So are you able to capture all of that? So in this instance, paid search is very different from how I measure a platform like LinkedIn, Facebook, a a more social platform. So for this analysis, you need to have a CRM or a a marketing platform that can track UTMs or some other type of of, um, a script on a click. So you can understand like what keywords, what campaign, all of that to map it back to it. So from a tool standpoint, yeah, like CRM, marketing automation platform, something there on the linkedin side specifically like we push a heavy amount of our budget into linkedin it's a little different because we will get some people who come in directly from ads and and convert but we don't run any direct response like nothing drives to our demo page nothing drives to our pricing page it's all in feed messaging educational content um, entertainment content and to measure that there's tools out there, like hockey stack is growing. They're they're doing a good job of being able to pull this in because it's multi-touch attribution in the sense of like, not like how do we attribute to top, but just like what channels are contributing to the grade. I don't personally use them. Mm-hmm. I, my stack, Salesforce, HubSpot, how'd you hear about us, text on field and then um, sales discovery calls. So what I do is, Salesforce HubSpot for the the platform attribution. What was the first touch? What was the last touch? So I do get both of those there. How did they first come to our website? How did they finally say like, "Hey, I'm ready to talk"? How'd you hear about us? Free text field. They enter it. I have workflows in HubSpot that bucket it. So I have codes where it says like, if includes like LinkedIn with all of the misspellings of us, Facebook, Instagram, all that bucket in this category. If it says word of mouth, peer, colleague, bucket in this category. So, um. I take that bucket them. And then I take the third one, which is, as I said earlier, our our sales discovery. So we have insights coming from, you know, I talked to a peer CEO recommended you something else. I triangulate all of those. And then that does not go to a pretty tool dog goes into Google sheets, which is what I use for a lot of my analysis. And then I start to just do like simple visuals, put it in the pie charts, put it in the bar charts, just understand what's your breakout of where people are coming from Because it's not the last touch, but what I like about the how'd you hear about us or the sales discovery question is often that's either the most memorable, the most impactful, most helpful touch point that they remembered you. And that's why you see podcasts come up a lot. Or, um, I mean, I, I don't buy product anymore without talking to someone first. And usually it's like, you know, Jenny recommended me to you all so if you want to talk about you know who should I be working with for like a partner referral program or anything else like those are all the insights that I that I want and you don't need some crazy six-figure visible type tool to to understand that you just have to one be able to capture the data know that it's accurate and then be able to draw insights from it did I answer everything there I know there's a
2: lot it does definitely okay. for for going in deep here um I'm, I'm just thinking like, you know, the shift even to move to how did you hear about us and seeing that as a valuable attribution inside that should e- sometimes even be more important than the marketing analytics platform, which is hard data. That is for many marketers, I think a, a big challenge uh in itself, but it's it's great to see that the first people are, you know,
1: Yeah, well, think about
2: the example where I just said I
1: killed paid search and I'm seeing an uptick in organic. Most people, if they only relied on platform, they'd be like, "Yay, our SEO efforts are working, but I know I did absolutely nothing to improve our SEO. Honestly, I've went the other direction. So that's where having the context of like adding the how'd you hear about us or other responses and and you understand like that actually had nothing at all to do with those types of of tactics.
0: One last question on the self-reported attribution because you guys both run, you guys run du- dual motion PLG SLG. Do you put self-reported also on the, the PLG on the mm-hmm. free trial? Yeah, you do. So it'll be
1: interesting to see because it's same ICP, but slightly different end users versus potentially decision maker. So it's helpful right. for us if we ever do want to push harder in one direction or another, like, hey, we need to increase signups on PLG. Hey, we need more enterprise deals.
0: Where do we push harder? Sam, thank, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I enjoyed this. I hope you, you, uh, you enjoyed it too. Um, any last closing thoughts, anything you want people to know or take away uh, from this conversation?
1: No, this was fun. I love it. Um, and hopefully this empowers people the way that Chris and Megan did with me to you know, question things that you've always done, get into the data, add some context
0: and some common sense and
1: find out what's truly best for impacting the bottom line
0: for your company. Love it. All right. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, guys. And bye-bye. Peace out.